Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Thank you for tuning in to Divine Nobody's podcast. I'm your host for today, Eric Ajna, and this will be another solo cast where I go deep with you all in exploring life's greatest mysteries and uh, also introspect and hold, a, let's just say, a magnifying glass to certain themes and situations that happen in life and see if we can maybe find alternate ways of moving through difficult, sometimes challenging situations. You know, uh, these, these solo casts are really born from certain experiences I've encountered throughout my life. And as the days progress, I, just like you, experience the same vast network of human emotions that seem to test all of us at some point. And uh, this week, I've been sitting with a question that I think all of us ask ourselves at some point, which is, well, how do we deal with toxic people? And I think that this is a really important question to explore, mainly because we all know what it's like to work with or even, you know, even collaborate with toxic people in real life. And uh, because of this, I'm sure we all have our own sort of ways of navigating through these truly unique and exhausting associations we have. And whatever strategies you have that work, definitely continue to use those. But I've been thinking about another way of looking at this question. And I invite you to take this journey with me in introspecting another vantage point that we can take when dealing with these types of individuals. So I wanted to start just by asking, have you ever found yourself lodged in a conversation with someone that you would consider toxic. I mean, we've all been in conversations like this, whether it be with toxic partners or conflicts that arise between friends or colleagues at work. I mean, if you're human, then you've experienced the sort of idiosyncratic mindfuckery that is, you know, verbal and emotional altercations with people. And uh, it seems that not only have we experienced this, you know, these are situations that burn very vivid memories into the fabric of our emotional well-being. And these uh, sort of emotional burns tend to send this reverberation of unwanted thoughts and beliefs through the core of how we perceive ourselves. They often have a really major impact on how we show up in life. I mean, it can be really difficult to forget heated exchanges because they, you know, they often happen with those that we trust to some degree. You know, the words that we hear from our partners, they, they seem to sort of pass through this gate in our heart that's often shut for everyone else except them. I mean, we expect to some degree that they'll hurt us from time to time. And it doesn't seem to be that much of a consequence when the sort of unconscious banter is backed by beautiful affirmations of love and validation. Uh, in other words, there seems, to be, there seems to be a comfortable balance of contrasting forces happening with our partners. And you know, that's just life. It happens. Sometimes we bicker, sometimes we get along, but ultimately the relationship, the ground of that is love. And that's just life. It happens. But what happens when we have people in our lives that seem to deliberately tug on the levers of our most sensitive triggers? You know, well, I mean, I think the most practical thing that we come to terms with eventually is that we can't change these people. You know, no matter how many, let's just say, Instagram quotes we forward them in hopes that they understand how it is that we feel, more often than not, they don't. And seldom do they try. And I think this is because they're not, they're not typically thinking about us. You know, while they continue not thinking about us, here we are instead 
thinking about their words and the cuts they've left on our hearts, even years later. But why do these words cut in the way that they do? Not even just in relationships, but why is it that we place so much stock in the hurtful words shared by others? You know, it seems that humans have an aversion to disharmony, and this uh, aversion seeps to the core of our sense of survival in nature. You know, we seem to find, you know, harmony and connection with others, and this instinctive reaction to disharmony creates a type of noticeable division between us and the world we so deeply want to believe is beautiful and loving. In other words, the the polarity of this density pulls us strongly in one of two directions when we realistically want to fall somewhere in the middle of beauty and chaos. So when someone says, fuck you, for example, you know, there's an element of your journey that is wrapped in the multitude of your experiences involving derogatory remarks like this. So what is it about a simple fuck you that's so compelling? I mean, what is it about the cadence of a toxic stream of thought that triggers us in the way that it does? I think this is a really important question that we can ask ourselves. And I think, well, because we identify negative communication with a type of personalized storehouse of memories associated with traumatic experiences from, let's just say, either our childhood, our past relationships, or even just affiliations with strangers we encounter off and on throughout our life. So when someone curses at us, I mean, it isn't just them cursing at us. It's as if it's as if every person you've ever seen verbally abusing you or experienced verbally abusing you is also there participating in your demise. You know, it seems that these are the type of circumstances we find ourselves in when we identify too strongly with the negative projections of others. Because it seems like the ego has this tendency to make us believe things about us that aren't true. And why does this happen? Well, I think from my perspective, this seems to happen when we pretend to not know ourselves better than we believe others do. And if we fall into these sort of unconscious traps of believing toxic people know more about us than we do, then we'll always risk being thrown around like ragdolls by these types of people. You know, we risk allowing others to define us in the same way that we define derogatory communication as toxic. So what do we do? You know, I think the beautiful thing about the spiritual journey is that it helps us awaken from these sort of unconscious patterns we find ourselves in. I mean, imagine waking up from a dream you've been trapped in for the last 30 years and realizing that everything you once thought about yourself wasn't at all true. And the deeper we go into sort of unraveling the false pretense of these illusions, we realize that communication and the human language is largely responsible for why this confusion even exists to begin with. I mean, the human language or the English language is, is really confusing. And it's surprising that we even attempt to understand what people mean when they beat us over the head with these sort of false projections of us in the world. You know, maybe our issue, maybe our issue is that we place too much importance on words. And we place an even bigger responsibility on words to define a spirit inside that can't be defined by words. So maybe as a way for our ego to reject the ineffability of its own system of understanding the world, it instead forms beliefs and opinions about life and even about others. And it does this as a way to protect itself. And it, you know, it does this while incidentally harming others at the same time. You know, ego seems to have this way of convincing us that our opinions and beliefs matter more than the opinions and beliefs of others. And so it becomes clear as to where the division arises 
and where the work really needs to take place within us, you know, especially when it comes to us and other people. So from my perspective, there are two languages that we as humans have the option to speak from at any given moment. And one is created by an ego's attempt to gather a sense of safety and comfort in a largely unpredictable world moderated by change. And the other is a language that cannot be fully understood with words, but more so felt intrinsically with intuition and heart, things like that. You know, it's a language that isn't at all concerned with the concept of survival because it understands the eternal undying nature of its own existence. And I think we as humans, we have a choice in any given moment to perceive life through the lens of these two forces, which are fear or love, heart or mind, or ego or spirit, those two. Maybe we can just put it this way. You know, we can look at our bodies as radios. And these radios contain dials that allow us to, you know, access certain band frequencies just as we would use a radio to turn into certain stations that we'd like to listen to. And there are two forces within us that can sort of take the wheel in determining which dimension or frequency we want to spend our time in. And the fact that we even have this much control over what we subject ourselves to shows really how great of a responsibility we have to make sure that we're tuning into the frequencies that are best suited for us. But I think that many of us don't realize that we have this power. You know, we don't realize that we have access to more than one channel within our bodies. And so some people, some people just get stuck listening to one station. You know, the only channel that some people are aware exists is this sort of limited channel of understanding life from a superficial, three-dimensional, you-versus-me type of reality. And if this is the radio station that we want to experience the world from, I mean, it's no surprise. It's no surprise that we walk through life feeling afraid. It's no surprise that we walk through life feeling alone and just sort of separate from the world. You know, and we all know, we all know when the ego is afraid, its only recourse usually is to attack. Because, you know, the ego is always stuck in survival. You know, the ego knows, it knows that it's impermanent. You know, it knows that one day it's not going to be here. And as a way to remain a type of authority over your life, it will do pretty much whatever it takes to prevent you from realizing its impermanence. Because, let's just face it, you know, the ego has these really sneaky ways of distracting us from reality. You know, it tries to convince us that we're separate from everything else. And it tries to take possession over circumstances and things and people. And it does this really as a way to survive. And I think, I think that's its greatest objective. Its greatest objective is to survive. And the beliefs that we have, you know, the languages we've created, the governments in which we live, the cultures in which we represent on a day-to-day -day basis, all of this points to an ego's attempt to protect itself from the unknown. Because in the unknown, ego is basically obsolete and completely irrelevant. It has no power there. So whenever it's approached by something it doesn't know, whenever it's approached by someone that challenges its beliefs, the ego has this tendency and this phenomenal tendency to attack. And we all know what it feels like to be emotionally abused and verbally attacked and, you know, undermined by toxic people. You know, the radio station that they are tuned into, I'm talking about toxic people, the radio station that they're tuned into is always a battleground of individuals and not communities. It's always us versus them. It's always we're wrong and they're not. 
But, you know, make, make no mistake, though, I think we as humans, we can sometimes fall into these sort of denser realms. But what I'm largely speaking to are, you know, the people that seem to be permanently stuck in the dimension of polarity thinking, you know, the dimension of ideological warfare, you know, the you, the me, the us, the, the them, you know, my God versus your God. And uh, once we awaken to this other dimension that exists within us, I think then we start to realize how exhausting it is to play within the ego realms, even for short periods of time. And this is what awakening is about. You know, it's about becoming aware of when we fall into these unconscious realms and, you know, immediately pulling ourselves out of them once we find ourselves in them. And this can really only happen when we realize and understand that there is another frequency or another radio station that we can tune into with much better music, you know, and just overall better vibes. But we don't typically come to explore this until we've experienced our share of trauma first. You know, it's like we have to be thrown headfirst into the flames of our own neurosis before we even think about the possibility that there may be another way of doing things. And usually it's not until we get to see our hearts just shattered on the floor in a million pieces that we begin the journey in seeking another way of perceiving things. You know, it's, it's surreal how strong the pull of our ego is. You know, instead of protecting our hearts from breaking, you know, we go to the brink of what we can physically and emotionally handle and end up inevitably breaking anyways. I mean, considering how often this is the case for people, it seems almost a prerequisite to awakening in a lot of ways. Because, uh, you know, we'll, we're not, we'll often not give up control unless there's a situation outside of our control that intervenes. You know, that situation can be death or illness or emotional, physical violence at the hand of someone else. And I think that's when we break. That's when we break. Then at this point, we begin letting go. And, and this is when the seeker is born. This is when the spiritual seeker is born. This, the, the seeker is typically born out of trauma. I mean, it's not one of the way, it's not the only way that it's born out of, but more often than not, at least from my experience and my experience of others, is it's, it, it can be born out of trauma. It's born from a certain feeling of desperation, not knowing how to move forward in life. You know, it's born from this realization that we can no longer hold on to control because, you know, in a lot of ways, we've already lost it at that point. You know, it's born from the most honest conversations we have with ourselves in moments that we can no longer live with the illusion we've been holding on to. You know, we can no longer live under the sort of false pretenses of the ego. And it seems at that point that the ego sold us a false bill of goods and it just ends up betraying all of us eventually, even if not right away, eventually, eventually, usually does. And I think that this is where freedom is born. This is when we begin to reapproach the spiritual realm within us. You know, when we throw everything we know and understand about ourselves and the world out the fucking window and we're just willing to start over. And I think that this is where this is where we begin listening, like really listening. You know, our entire lives, we've been listening and taking advice from the wrong voices, whether it be our ego or other people. But when we finally let go, we can begin actually listening to our heart. You see, everybody has their ego, or everyone, I should say, has their ego tuned into a certain dial on the radio. 
And that dial is a dimension moderated by certain behaviors and actions and words and things like that. And true freedom exists in this sort of understanding that our spirit does speak, but not in a language that the ego typically understands. You know, the spiritual dimension exists in a place that isn't moderated by things like success or money or status. It isn't moderated by religion or culture or ideology. It isn't moderated by words. It most certainly isn't moderated by concepts. You know, these things are all abstractions created by the ego to keep us more or less distracted from the true beauty that exists within our heart. You know, from my experience, enlightenment is less about being somebody and more about the art of just being. You know, it's about allowing the most beautiful aspects of our sort of creative blueprint to sort of permeate every element of our lives. And of course, this doesn't, this doesn't mean that we'll, we won't fall asleep every now and again. I mean, it doesn't mean that we'll become indifferent to the struggles in life. You know, it just, it just means that the blow of these things when we do experience them won't hold us captive in the ways that they used to. Because in the spiritual dimension, we can always find, we can always find something to learn from. Because ultimately we know that there isn't anything that happens without source allowing it to happen. You know, eventually we come to this place where we realize that it's all God. Everything is happening as a result of this sort of divine movement of God. And these are all, these are all really beautiful things to consider. But the question still remains, how do we deal with toxic people? And I wanted to, this makes me think of a, a story that I'm going to share with you. I remember I went to the Yucatan Peninsula a while back in 2012, of all years, right? And uh, many of the people native to that area were largely responsible for helping our group navigate safely through each city. And uh, there were many people there uh, that we would consider to be honest, but you know, just like anything, there were also people there that were noticeably dishonest. And uh, you know, dishonest in the sense that they clearly wanted to hustle us out of money because you know, in the end, we were tourists. We all know how that game goes when you're a tourist in another country. And so if you're someone who travels outside of the U.S., you know that it's you know, common to connect with people who speak a completely different language than you do. I mean, in terms of geography, someone in Mexico um, is definitely tuned into a completely different cultural radio station than someone in California. So, I mean, it's no surprise that I found myself in you know, several situations where I had to communicate with others that didn't speak the same language. I mean, we've all experienced this before, but if you're paying attention during these types of situations, you can observe something really surreal about these type of interactions. And that is that words are just a syntax of audible symbols with meaning. And these meanings, these, these meanings are pre-designated by certain social communities of people. And, you know, even if this is the case, language appears largely subjective and always left to interpretation by the one on the other side of the conversation, right? And despite this, you know, language appears to be a currency that none of us can live without. It's something that we all need. You know, it seems to sort of glue our relationships together. But, you know, the surreal thing about this is how the relevance of our language sort of like disappears the second we enter into another country, right? I mean, this becomes really clear in places like, let's just say, Italy or France, you know, because in those moments, a part of you, 
you had once held so dear is more or less reduced down to audible sounds with little context. And this is really interesting when you look at this because it, it shows how quickly the ego can fall apart. You know, it shows how quickly the you in you can disappear. And I think that there's a lot of beauty in this understanding because then you realize, you realize how ephemeral it all is, right? You realize how it doesn't really make much sense to grasp at something so strongly when that can be just so easily taken away from you in an instant, you know? And all it takes is you just getting on a plane in a different country for your ego to more or less ghost you and be like, fuck you, I'm out, right? And, you know, the reason I bring this up, the reason I bring this up is when we are in these type of positions with people that speak a different language, you know, we don't really have any room to take offense to what they say because we don't understand the linguistics of what they're trying to communicate, right? So instead, we show reverence and respect to someone of a different culture. And at the very least, you know, we try and understand where they're coming from. I mean, in the end, if we end up lost in translation, we typically just move on and continue enjoying our lives, right? I mean, we don't allow those conversations to linger in our subconscious and allow them to cause us emotional pain for years. You know, we just let them go and we don't typically look back. So can we, can we begin seeing our connections with toxic people in this way? You know, can we acknowledge that they're tuned into a frequency that is comfortable, maybe for them, but completely foreign to you and just accept that and allow it to just be? I mean, ultimately, you know, ego has a language in which it prefers to communicate, but so does love, right? And the two don't typically have to connect unless you want them to. So if there's a toxic person in your life that takes pretty much every opportunity to try and dim your light, maybe just see it as a language that you don't speak nor understand or even want to understand. And in return, we can just sort of offer them respect, offer them reverence, and just, just move on. You know, because love is a language that you'd prefer to speak, right? And anything less than that is not a path that you're willing to explore or allow into your space, right? So maybe start thinking of it that way and try that out. But I, I did want to say this, though. This doesn't all imply that you should remain indifferent to the suffering of others. You know, if we're, if we're experiencing life from this sort of higher dimension of love, we would actually find it really difficult to ignore the shortcomings of others. And if we find ourselves entering into this space of indifference, this often sort of presents itself as a type of spiritual bypass, which, you know, if we're familiar with what this is, usually consists of even more ego than we were even used to having previously been asleep. So if you ever find yourself recycling these type of socially recognizable phrases like good vibes only or don't kill my vibe or you know, demeaning others for having a bad day, then you may find yourself in a much bigger trap than them. You know, there's nothing more, you know, irresponsible than entering spirituality only to use it as a weapon against someone who hasn't really, you know, had the opportunity to explore their own awakening yet. So I think it's important that we always remain compassionate, you know, because uh, at least from my experience, the paragon of awakening is that it sort of allows us to see the suffering of others as a mutual and shared type of journey. And our role in that, our role in that process is to be sort of present to the chaos of someone else's experience and 
being able to be present without allowing it to penetrate our peace, right? Without allowing the ego to identify their pain as our own. I mean, we can still help. You know, we can be compassionate and understand someone else's suffering while, you know, still remaining heart-centered in our truth. And uh, instead of pushing others away for what they feel or what they say, you know, we can allow them the opportunity to awaken in just the same way that you have, right? So, you know, wish them love, wish them peace. And uh, if they're not willing to collaborate with you, then we need to just let them go and just sort of move on, right? Just move on. Practice acceptance and just just move on. And that's and this is what I wanted to share with you guys today. You know, it's been something that's been on my heart to share, and my hope is that, you know, you can extract whatever resonates with you and uh, add a little more to your spiritual toolbox. You know, a little more couldn't hurt, right? We could all use a little help along our journey in life. And uh, I'm super grateful for the, you know, beautiful people that I've met along my path that have helped guide me through difficult times in my life like these ones. So, you know, remember, we're all in this together, fam. Let's uh, keep the light on and keep the flame in our hearts burning for the right people, of course. But yeah, thank you guys for tuning in, Divine Nobody's podcast. If you're new to our show, consider like and subscribing to our show on YouTube if you happen to be on that platform. Uh, you could also, if you're on Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave us a review. We always love to know how it is that we're doing. We have some episodes um, up ahead. Of course, Jen's going to be with us. Uh, sometimes when I'm like walking down the street and I just have these sort of epiphanies or these light bulbs or these downloads kind of happen, I just think, you know what? I need to share this share, share this on the podcast. And this is kind of the reason why we had this show today. I love connecting with you guys just one-on-one. But of course, uh, I also love when Jen's in, uh, with us as well. We'll continue kind of doing our thing in the days ahead. But if you guys have any questions, you could also find us on Instagram and follow us on there. That's where we post uh, some more content for you guys to take a look at. And uh, of course, we appreciate all of you guys' support and we hope to talk to you, all of you guys soon. Until then, namaste friends. Have a good day.